Oh, oh I testing, love it. Testing, one, two, three. More closer. Right there. Zach, does that sound better? Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Happy New Year, listeners. It's 2020. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we give you your adventure books and conversation from 11,000 feet, especially this episode. Yes, we <laughs> actually were at 11,000 feet. <laughs> You're giving it away, Stacy. I'm Christopher. I'm Stacy. And join, he, joining us, as always, is producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey. Hi, Doug. Happy New Year. Thank you. So we have a really good start to this year, Stace. Yeah. We a really positive, beautiful, just kind of like life affirming start. Yep. Ethereal adventure. <laughs> I'm probably overselling it. Maybe. Why don't you tell us what it was? So Christopher and I went and took a gondola ride up to the tippy top of Mammoth Mountain, the highest peak. So I should point out I'm not a downhill skier yet. Um, and I'm certainly not ready to try and ski or snowboard off the top of Mammoth Mountain, but you can still get up there yes. while it's ski season. Yeah, that's right. So they have the high-speed gondola. It's all in, enclosed. It looks like a little little spaceship-ish kind <laughs> little pod, <laughs> but very comfortable seats, mm-hmm. and you hop on at Main Lodge, and you take a trip all the way up to the top. There's You stop at Mid Chalet or McCoy Station, which is Mid Mountain, and then you Dave Dave McCoy. McCoy. Yep, and who is the founder of Mammoth Mountain? Right. Um, And then you keep on going up to the very top at eleven thousand fifty-three feet, I believe, is the correct number. I'm hoping that that's correct because we're podcasting our own podcast where we say 11,000 feet. Well, we say 11,000. It's it's a hair above (laughs) 11,000 is the the peak of Mammoth Mountain. And there's a big sign that Mm -hmm. when you get to the top, a big post that marks it and... It was a beautiful day and we had a great time. It was. So you really... so the day that we did it, it was a weekday. We kind of went yep. up on a lunch break and, during the week. And there were definitely skiers up there. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't packed. So we had right. the gondola car to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we really could enjoy. High speed is, is it's faster than a chairlift. Right. But it's not like you're zipping, zipping. up at the side right. of the mountain. You really do have a chance to enjoy the scenery. And so you, I was talking about this before. You mm-hmm. kind of go up to the midpoint, McCoy Station. And if you continue going on, you it gets steeper. You yes. really realize you're going up to the top of a mountain. Definitely, it's it more dramatic, and and you're also on that second part of the the ride, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. um, you, because you're closer to the face of the mountain, and because it's steeper, you don't the wind don't isn't affecting you quite as much as on the lower part. But you can see for miles and yeah. miles and miles, and the vista of the Sierras north and south is something to behold. It is beautiful. Especially you could see all the way to Crowley Lake. Crowley Lake, and I think Mono Lake. And Mono and Lake on the other direction. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. And when it's all kind of in covered in snow, it really you you see the details more. I mm-hmm. think into the distance, yeah. so it really sticks out. And being a non-skier, what I loved is we got off at the top mm-hmm. and walked up to the sign. Yep. We we'll took took photos. We'll mm-hmm. post the photos. Um, but then you see the beginning of all the ski runs, and one of them is labeled, I think, the easiest way yes. down. Yep. And yep. then there's one that's labeled an expert run, and it just kind of disappears behind the the shack, and you can't really see what's beyond it. So I, I would just sit there and, for the few minutes that we were up there, just watch people going, starting their descent. Yeah, and thinking, oh he, my gosh, I was I was surprised to see that up from the very top there is a blue square run, mm-hmm. and, and it does say easiest way to the next right, run or right. wherever it connects to. But it seemed pretty for me. It would be just like that initial tipping my skis down <laughs> and going over that edge. It's that, a leap of faith. Yeah, I I like to ski. It's fun, but I don't like to go to the top. <laughs> I'm not a go to the top of the mountain kind of gal. You don't I need will, to prove that. I do not that, need to prove okay. anything. I, the whole time I'm going down a ski run, I am praying that <laughs> I, I get there, I get to the bottom, that nobody kills me and I don't hurt anyone. I, it's a religious experience for me. <laughs> I love that. I'm not a skier and I can appreciate it. That's kind of just me commuting home, hoping that no one hits me and I don't hit anybody else. But it is an astounding vista. I can understand yeah. why people drive to Mammoth to go skiing because it's not just incredible skiing runs. Right. The scenery is really just astounding. It's, it is, it's majestic. It really is just a majestic mountain and all, all the mountains around it. It's just, it's stunning. And then you turn around and get back on the gondola to go back down. Yes. And that pitch Off coming the out of the chute. Uh, <laughs> one will take a breath. <laughs> I thought it was gorgeous and amazing. You're like, oh my god! I was holding on. <laughs> I know it's going to be fine, but that first, There's... that first just leaving the chalet to go down on the to go down with even though it's kind of a slow uh, stately gondola there's a little bit of exhilaration it, it, yes we, we called definitely. it a slow zip line uh, yes and and a zip line that you can appreciate all the views around <laughs> you you can and sit down and yes take relax. photos and relax mm-hmm. yeah uh and you can eat at both mccoy station and the top there's like a little cafe right yep and yeah. bar and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think the very top, I don't think the cafe was open when we were mm-hmm. there, but I'm sure on the weekends yeah. there are opportunities for people to stop and have a have a beer, coffee, hot chocolate. And then some a snack. Finish your way down the mountain whichever way you want to come out. Yep. So it was super fun and the the I you know, I tip my hat to the people, the guys who were working at all the gondola stations. They were, were just, great. So wonderful and kind and everyone's in a happy mood that yeah. day. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah, they really were. Yeah. It was so much fun. So totally recommend it. If you're a non skier, you can still go to the top yep. of Mammoth Mountain. Costs yep. a little bit of money, but that's okay. It's totally worth it. Yep. Just and, get a uh, scenic ride yeah. pass and you're good to go. And you can go up and down as many times as you want. <laughs> we only went once. We only went once. because um, there's other stuff to do. Yeah, so listeners go give it a go. Give it a go. And uh, take a breath. We'll be right back with our books. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at 
the book part of our podcast. The reading part. Yay. I love this part. I do too. I love talking about books. <laughs> That's good because you're in the right place. Yes, I am. <laughs> Listeners, we hope you like talking about books. <laughs> we hope you like listening about them <laughs> as well. But today we are talking about a classic. Yeah. It's at least it's on the list of classic books. I think it's a bona fide classic. Um, and before we get into the book itself, we had decided to read a classic on purpose, right? Yes. Yeah. Just something different. Shake things up a little bit. Yeah. But not like a quote unquote stereotypical canon classic like Moby Dick or Grapes of Wrath. Well, yeah. Or... We didn't want it to be like a high school English class. Thank you. I think that's yeah. the conversation we had. Yes. <laughs> Nothing against high school English no, classes. They're great. Um, but I've already, I'm done with school. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So we picked a classic that was slightly off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Definitely. It's it's so what we picked was The Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West. By Nathaniel West. Written in nineteen thirty nine. The so, golden age of Hollywood. Yeah, the golden year Yo, of, yes. of Hollywood. And the reason yeah. why we're referring Hollywood is that both Nathaniel West, who was a screenwriter mm-hmm. at this time, um, and the story itself are centered around Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. And we yeah. picked it because <laughs> let's let's okay. So let, we're kind of dancing around an issue here. We picked it because it was shorter. Yes. We picked it because it was Nathaniel West, who was like right there alongside William Faulkner, Raymond Chandler, Dorothy, Dorothy Parker. Parker, all those you know writers who started in New York City, Greenwich Village, you know, in the nineteen twenties and thirties, and then migrated. migrated to Hollywood to become screenwriters, yep. and wrote really witty, screwball comedies, witty movies you know, amazing movie movies like the yeah. movies that came out in 1939. Yeah. The, um, gone with the wind, uh, wizard of Oz, you I, know, the women, other, other, yeah. it was a really banner year Big for year. Hollywood. So we figure, Hey, you know, a, a, right. a screenwriter writing in 19, this can be a fun read. Yeah. And the way it's described, if you go to, you know, Amazon summaries or any of the, the summaries of this book, it seems like it would be a very, um, fun, funny, lighthearted read. <laughs> and you're saying this was such a straight face. I imagine some people do find it that way. I didn't quite so find it I, that way. I didn't. I, 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 I didn't laugh. I'm laughing um, now that it's over. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about what the storyline is. It's about um, uh, the main character is this guy named Todd, Todd Hackett, who, uh, like Nathaniel West, has come west to Hollywood from the East Coast. He's a graphic designer, and he's been brought out by studio to do the set design, costume design, right. that kind of stuff. Yes, right? he's an artist. Yeah, and he's a young yeah. man, unmarried. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another character, Faye. Yes, Faye Greener. 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 Faye Greener. She is a 17-year-old wannabe starlet. Yeah. Um, and they live in the same. She and Todd and and her father Harry. Right. They live in the same apartment complex or building. Right. Um, and Todd becomes infatuated with uh, Faye. Yeah. And um, and as a result of him wanting to get close to her, he develops a relationship with 
her father. Mm-hmm. And then there are all these assorted and sundry other... Colorful characters. Well said. <laughs> One of whom is Homer Simpson. Simpson, yes. And that is... According to interviews with Matt Groening that was done in the that were done in the nineties, um, the the character in the Simpsons of Homer Simpson was taken from this character Homer Simpson in the Day of the Locust. That's that the kind of surprising, but doesn't surprise doesn't. me in a way. But we well, okay. go ahead. So let's step back also and just kind yep. of paint the context here. Nathaniel West is writing a book about Hollywood in the basically the 20s, 30s, yep. right? It's yep. the Depression. The There's Technicolor movies are beginning to come out. There's yep. characters from all over. There's a lot of artifice. It's Cal- Southern California. Right. So there's like, you know, Spanish house next to a colonial English house next to whatever. Right. Art you know. Deco. Yeah. The whole thing. So, you know, he's kind of coming from this place of, nothing is really what it seems Mm -hmm. to be. And quite a bit of it is fake because you're in a fake industry. Right. And one of, one of his assertions in, in the book is that people are all coming to California to die. Right. And this comes out a couple of times in the book where like California for many people is seen as a destination. Right. You live your life. Right. You You have your career. You worked really hard. You've saved up. You can go get that bungalow in Mm -hmm. Southern California in the 1930s and live the life of Riley for the rest of your life. Um, And, you know, in this novel... Um, that's kind of in the background and, yep, and very impacts much so. the story at different points of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it follows Todd and Faye and Homer Simpson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just say Homer. I have to say Homer Simpson now. <laughs> and all sundry kind of vaudevillian other characters yeah. who kind of have some relationship or tangential relationship with the movie business in the 1930s right. and the hijinks and, ex- and experiences they have. Right. I kind of hesitate using the word hijinks because I think that's kind of a little too happy um, and I don't want to diss this book, but it's it's not necessarily a book you would recommend to someone for an average afternoon read. No, and I don't think it's what we expected. No. I don't think it turned out to be what we expected. So we may give a little bit away without giving the full book away mm-hmm. here. It's a classic. Um, yeah. Uh, it's kind of dark. And uh, so we were chatting the infatuation that Todd has with Faye. Mm-hmm. Todd is, you know, an adult. Faye right. is 17, 17. years old mm-hmm. and a little bit written very kind of loose. Yes. Um, Todd's infatuation is for a 21st century reader's sensibilities a little problematic. Exactly. And, you know, that was one of the things that that allowed me to connect this book to today mm-hmm. is this the whole me too movement mm-hmm. and even though he doesn't you know harass Faye in in any uh, way you know in any physical right. way or any you know it's all his it's his in infatuation his is in his head it still resonates because other characters do get right involved with her in that way and there were others there were other scenes there are other pieces in this movie things that he thinks about that today would not be tolerated they wouldn't be i don't know that they'd even be tolerated in a novel or they would have to be posed in a a a context a very specific context like an american psycho context yes this isn't american psycho but it's there's some kind of really disturbing things that we would find disturbing that i'm sure were disturbing in 1939 as well right 
but just more accepted to be talked about or I guess I, I, or assumed that men could act a certain way and women default behave a certain way. Well, and I think we, you know, we were talking about that too, you know, back in the thirties, you're talking about the ethos of Hollywood was all around the, the casting couch and, yeah. and a very misogynistic male driven industry and females didn't have a say. They didn't have rights necessarily. Right. So this is, um, I think what you're picking up on is mm. this is a character driven novel. I didn't find it a plot driven novel. No. And in fact, during our <laughs> snowshoe adventure, our, our misadventure with snowshoes, we talked about, like we were both halfway through it yeah. that day. And you're like, what am I reading? I was having a little meltdown about it, I have to say. <laughs> there was no, we weren't like halfway, th I didn't feel halfway through a book. I, or there was yeah. no plot to tell me where I was. Ex and you described it as kind of like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, I thought I thought it would. It was just these crazy characters kind of running around and I couldn't see the through line. Right. You know, right. and I kept asking you, what is the point? What is the point? <laughs> Which is fine. In some literature, that's absolutely, it's, it's a way to write. And, yeah. And and, um, but we were kind of like trying to make it something we could understand. So like, right. if this were, if the Coen brothers or the Farrelly brothers or David Lynch turned this into a movie, is this something that we could relate to or, or understand follow. a little bit or, yeah. or even follow? Yeah. It was made into a movie in the seventies mm -hmm. starring Donald Sutherland and Karen Black, but it's not a movie you doesn't necessarily see on late night TV a whole lot. Or even on Netflix. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's even as a movie, I'm not sure how successful it was. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Um, and you know, for the reasons we just described, um, I was asking Stacy earlier, would this show up on a high school classic reading list very often? Yeah, I don't, I can't see that it would simply because, well, we're living in our society today mm -hmm. and, I don't think it's appropriate for high school kids to be, you know, or middle school kids to be reading this kind of, of content that's right. pretty, you know, it's explicit in some... For 1939, I thought so. In some ways, and, um, you know, we won't go, won't, won't spoil it in case you want to pick it up, but, um, yeah, I, the there were some aspects of it that I could see being worthwhile teaching to mm -hmm. high school kids, you know, some of the themes mm -hmm. um, I could see being worthwhile. One of the, one of the um, aspects of this book that really struck me is the author's use of color. Yeah. It's, he's yeah. very overt in his descriptions and his use of color. And mm -hmm. um, that really um, stuck out to me. Right. And, and being descriptive that I could pull some of that to teach Mm -hmm. high school kids about descriptive writing and, and how you use color in that regard. And, you know, and it makes sense that this was written when Technicolor was right. just getting started and things were like wit, uber yeah. colored, you know, it wasn't just red. It was like red. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. <laughs> and there are also, I mean, the characters, every character in this novel is very different from the others, even though some many of them are stereotypes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Dime store cowboy, yeah. the Mexican the old, actor who plays Indians on movies. Right, the, the vaudeville, the old vaudeville, vaudeville guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a dwarf. Yep. Um, and a scam artist. I mm -hmm. mean, they're, they're, all the different character tropes are there. Right. Um, it's interesting what he does and doesn't do with them. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think I wanted to get out, and we talked about this as well, and you have a quote to read mm -hmm. from it, is that, you know, people come to California 
I think this still happens. People mm-hmm. come to California to kind of retire or live in a beautiful area or what have you um, because they're done doing what they spent their life doing yeah. and how quickly you can become bored. Yes. And this becomes a theme of this novel. And, and the denouement at the very end is kind of a result of this. Like he, I'll let you read the quote. Okay. Go ahead and, All right. and, and do that. The quote is, there Their boredom becomes more and more terrible. They realize that they've been tricked and burned with resentment. Every day of their lives, they read the newspapers and went to the movies. Both fed them on lynchings, murder, sex crimes, explosions, wrecks, love nests, fires, miracles, revolutions, wars. This daily diet made sophisticates of them. Yeah, so I was reading that. (laughs) We were talking about this. We are also not going to tell you where I'm coming from, but we're currently in the middle of some serious things going on in Washington now in our government. Yeah. And I was thinking about how regardless of what point you come from in how you feel about, you know, I'm sorry, the impeachment and other things that are going on, um, how much of that is fed by... Boredom. Boredom and media feeding into that boredom and creating that sex, drugs, violence stuff that Mm -hmm. kind of satiates that. And that's how they earn their money. And that's how you get people who are sitting on a couch invested in interacting with this kind of stuff. Right. And so um, I think that's partially why I had trouble with this book is because I looked for it as kind of an escape from what I'm hearing about on the news every night. And you didn't get that. I didn't get yeah. that. And it was kind of, you know, I, I will admit it was a little bit difficult and disappointing, mm-hmm. I think for that reason. But that's what I brought to the book, not right. necessarily what it brought to me. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I felt like I, I was disappointed because I wanted to, I wanted to take something away from it. I mm-hmm. wanted, you know, I wanted to... Learn. So I thought I was going into this book. I was going to learn something about what it was like, right, to live back during that time and working in a Hollywood studio yeah. with hijinks and actors yeah. and actresses. That's and really screwball comedy. That's exactly what I thought I was going to get. Yeah, this this wasn't that. It wasn't that. It, yeah. <laughs> so we can't really tell you what the book is, but we can tell you what it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, I it it made you. F- I I felt a little sad. Did you care for any of the characters? No. Yeah, neither did I. No, I didn't. I did, couldn't find anything redeeming. I wanted to care about Todd mm-hmm. and even Homer Simpson. <laughs> you know, I I I had a little bit of empathy for him and his plight, mm-hmm. but in the end, there just was nothing. They didn't do anything to really you know, redeem themselves or, or give me anything to hang that, that empathy on. Yeah. And the, at the end of the book, there's a pretty dramatic thing that yes. comes out. It's that boredom and resentment boils, boils out into over. A, a very yeah. dramatic event. Um, but it doesn't even resolve completely satisfactorily. No. You, there's no happy ending in this movie. Um, no. And I, again, I can kind of understand why it's a classic and why people would put it on classic lists. But I also understand why it's not read a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. And definitely why it's not on English must-read books in high school. <laughs> yeah. So this is a unique episode of Oxygen Starved where we dove into a book and we both kind of came out uh, unsatisfied. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. What's funny is yeah. we both zeroed in on the same quote. 
yes. from different angles. When yeah. we confabbed before this recording, we both were like, I want to read this quote. Yeah. And it was exactly that. I know. I was. That made me happy. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I was thinking the way you were thinking. So, you know, if anything, you know, if any of you are curious about this book, you know, we have it at the library. I, I encourage you yeah. to give it a look. And, you know, if you've had a different experience with Day of the Locust, please let, let us, us know. know. Um, people have different experiences with different yeah. books, and that's not a bad thing. And I would I would love to hear from somebody who has a different take on this yeah. and what, why, you know, what the thinking behind it is. I'd love to know that. If the Coen brothers turned this into a movie, would you go see it? Well, it's the Coen brothers. <laughs> if it had yeah. George Clooney playing it, Todd? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I I would wait to see the reviews, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. Not every book is a winner, or they are their own winner in their own way. Right. <laughs> Thank That's you right. for listening. Um, we'll be back with the conversation part of our podcast in just a moment. Listeners, we are here with, at the conversation part of our podcast, and we are so fortunate and honored today to have Dina Castor joining us. Yeah, welcome, Olympic Dina. marathoner, medal winner. You know, it's so good to be here with you finally. <laughs> finally. I yeah. really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you both do. do. It's a pleasure. Busy schedule. All of us, really. Yeah, and we're, you know, we're recording this just before the Christmas holidays. Yeah. So when this airs, people will be on the, the downside of of the new year. Donning and new gifts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Embarking and, on new adventures. Yes. Really. New, yes. New Resolution. Resolutions. Resolutions. All of that. Yeah. So Dina, can you tell, share with us and our listeners, what was the adventure that brought you to Mammoth Lakes? Wow. So as an, as a distance runner, training at altitude is essential mm -hmm. and, um, it's, we can get really philosophical about it. Um, mm -hmm. and also physiological about it, that living here allows your, your blood cells mm -hmm. to transfer oxygen to your working muscles more efficiently mm -hmm. so that when you go down to sea level, you feel like a superpower. <laughs> and, um, but to me, it's living here. I yeah. absolutely love the mountains. I was actually one of the kids in my high school cross country team and we, yeah. Came up nice. here and had camps every summer, so I had really fond memories wow. of Mammoth. And so now, when the campers come up by the tens of thousands, it seems <laughs> like in the summertime, uh, the Mammoth Track Club, my Mammoth Track Club team, and I make sure that we host talks in the park and oh, that's so great. and um, and give back to them in hopes that they make Mammoth their residence someday soon. That is so it's amazing, right? Childhood yeah. memories are really influential on later life decisions. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. When did did you move here full time? In 2001. So you're a, you're a local local. Yes. You've been here for nearly 20 years. Yeah, yeah. almost 20 years, <laughs> but it seems like the blink of an eye. Yeah, I mean, I right. love living here and, and, and living here makes you realize that 
time does go by so quickly. Yes. There, I still have about a thousand places I want to hike right. to. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you could live here full time year round and still not do all the things that are that are drawing you. And the, the reasons why everybody moves yeah. here is um, there's always more to, to, to explore and to accomplish in living here because we're surrounded by a lot of fun stuff. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we moved here last year and we got a hiking map was one of the first things we got. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, where are we going to go this weekend? Where are we going to go this? And it's really intimidating. I'm like, this is going to take years. Yes. Maybe for the first 10, <laughs> maybe for the first 10 years, you do everything North and yeah. then for the next 10 years, you do everything East. <laughs> you almost, you almost have to approach <laughs> yes. it like that because yes. there's so much. And, and that, you know, that's one of the things about living here too, is that everybody has an active passion who yeah. lives here, whether, whether it's distance running or hiking or skiing, snowboarding, it seems like you have to be an active person to no doubt live here. And after failing miserably at cross country skiing and skiing <laughs> and just trying way too hard to like those two sports, mm-hmm. I realized I'm just a runner surrounded by a bunch of athletes who live in this community. <laughs> So when you came up here, did you come up here with Andrew? Did you meet yes, him? Yes, we met in Colorado you, okay. and moved out here. We're both Southern California, born okay. and raised. Mm. And um, But when we were deciding to move back West, Mammoth was a unanimous choice for both of us. Oh, that's great. And did he come up here as a kid also? He did, yes, okay. he did. So we both came here with, with fond memories. And what we gained after moving here just blows those memories out of the water. <laughs> So what do you, what do you do at this time of year? If you're not a skier or a cross country skier, what do you do for activity? I spend a long time waiting in parking lots to pick up my (laughs) husband and daughter from skiing. Um, That seems like a theme in this town. Yes. I, um, I sit by the fire a lot, but (laughs) as a runner, it's so easy. The streets are dry today after a substantial snowfall. So the streets are dry. I get out for easy days, but most of our hard workouts, we're driving down the mountain to Round Valley area and getting in our hard work there just to make sure our muscles are warm. And Mm -hmm. we were down there this morning and it was maybe close to 55 degrees. It was just gorgeous. So it's beautiful. It's even in, even the, the mountain could be socked in and dumping yeah. snow and we can go down there and run in t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> like amazes me every time. It's, it's really true how, yeah. how big of a swing there is between even here in our office, we're at about 8,000 feet yes. to go down the hill into Round Valley it's yeah, so you huge. could you could you could enjoy any any recreation that mm-hmm. that that suits your fancy any time of year here, which I think is really yeah. special. Totally, yeah, yeah. And I love speaking of down there. I know a lot of runners who go down from Mammoth yeah. or up here in the area down to Round Valley or Bishop to run, which for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the area is about four thousand feet lower. I mean, it's quite a yeah, bit yeah, lower. Almost yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, I like driving up Old Rock Creek Road, the oh, old yeah. highway, and seeing the, I'm assuming they're Olympic athletes in training on the rollerblades. Yeah. Yeah, yes. uh, oh, yeah. It's the Canadian team comes out every fall. It is so cool to see them out there. And they, it, this is a windy road with a steep mm-hmm. grade, and they are just trucking up that. It's amazing. Yeah. The, and then they book it down. But the Canadian, <laughs> a Canadian national team comes here every single year to do their um, dry land training, which oh, is I pretty, subs- I mean, it's remarkable so, that yeah. we live in a place that offers that. Yeah, so totally. the Mammoth Track Club, do they host these 
teams from other countries or tell us about the track club? Yeah. So the, the track club, we have a youth, youth program and we have a, um, and we have a general membership. Mm -hmm. We also have a professional side. We host the freedom mile on July 4th and the, Mm -hmm. um, and the turkey trot on Thanksgiving. And (laughs) so it's, we are pretty, pretty broad in what we do, but we also do host runners from around the world. Kuhn Yart from Belgium just won the world championships after a stint here and broke the European marathon record. So um, we really do breed them well up here. (laughs) (laughs) We build, we build them up. Desiree Linden, who won the Boston marathon was training here right before she, she won Boston. So um, this is a special place for building dreams. And Meb Kaflecki. Oh, who's that? (laughs) (laughs) Meb Kaflecki, the silver medalist in the 2004 Olympics. We trained together for those Olympics. Mm -hmm. So it was um, really special to, to come home with medals to, to share, but I will say that I was home in Mammoth by the time he was racing, and I watched the him race in his house because we don't have television. Mm-hmm. And I left dirty champagne glasses in his room. <laughs> <laughs> I was celebrating back here as as everybody was. It was such an exciting race, it, but um, but I left him dirty champagne. He oh. had really pretty champagne glasses, yeah. <laughs> well, like pretty crystal. Like mine are just something you could break and not cry over. These were really pretty, so I made sure to like tip them down um, nicely well, in the sink. N- knowing Meb. Like I do, I'm sure he did not mind at yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was on a on a on a high coming home, so it didn't matter. Yeah, you oh, know what? Awesome. Sorry, real quick, just not to let this one go. You mentioned the July Fourth race this year. This is my first time watching it. My partner oh. ran it, so you know our dogs came up and cheered him on. Yay. There was still snow at the starting point, right up at Twin. Oh, Lake? that was for the half. Oh, the yes. half marathon Father's yeah. Day weekend, and they had yep. to plow out the lake basin. That's that was amazing. Yes. Yeah. So you really just have to be prepared for any eventuality. Yes, if you're it's the only race. race in the country that passes out those mylar blankets at the start line and not the finish line. <laughs> I love that. Oh, and the turkey trot, you had snow this year. Yes, and you know, Andrew, who's the coach yes. of the Mammoth Track Club, my husband, the night before, he was just frantic. Though oh. It was dumping snow and he's a, he's a liability guy and oh. is like so scared someone's going to slip and fall. And he wanted to cancel the race and I was like, oh my gosh, like we can't, like I just, I just <laughs> baked seven pumpkin cheesecakes to raffle off. I, I am not letting you, not letting you cancel this. Cause what are we going to do with all of these? Um, but I just said, you know what? The people that want to run in the snow and enjoy that experience are going to mm-hmm. show up. And the people who want to stay in under their down comforters and in their PJs right. are going to stay at home. Exactly. So we had about, um, 200 people, maybe more show up for it. And it was a fun event. Oh, oh really yeah. fun. That's great. <laughs> and how many you've done this now for what four or five this years? was the fifth year okay yes yeah fifth oh, year of awesome. the turkey trot one of these years i'm i'll get out of my bed and go up <laughs> from crawley and run it maybe yes but you're, it's days. okay to be fa- a fair weather runner totally you deserve that well yeah you know my running days are behind me now because of my hip but you situation. could trot but i can trot <laughs> yes i can skip it's I a can, turkey trot. We yes. had people walking. Yeah. Walk. We had someone crutch the whole thing. Wow. So we had the full <laughs> the full spectrum of participation, but it, it was very festive. That's it, great. It, the pictures yeah. looked 
been really super fun. It was fun. So Olympic marathon medalist 2004, what was that like coming back here with having experienced that? Yes. What an amazing town we live in. They were so supportive, like signs all over Main Street and Old Mammoth Road. Um, It felt surely like every single person here was part of that. (laughs) And I think that's why I cried coming into the stadium because it looks like such a running looks like such an individual sport and so many people have to do with mm. getting you there healthy and ready from from yeah. Andrew who is with me every step of the way giving me massages every day and stretching me out before practice to my agent who who's my advocate and everything to my coach at the time Joe Vihill who really was my greatest mentor still is yeah. my greatest mentor um, to my teammates that stride for stride with me every day as we conquer hills and midsummer heat here in in Mammoth. It was really, um, it felt like a huge team getting me there. Mm -hmm. And my thank you back to them was performing well that day. Well, you certainly did. What and what an amazing race. And You could only say thank you so many times until you like, <laughs> finally do something that they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I did everything right. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's, that's so amazing. Yeah. And what are, you, what are you running now? What are you, are you racing? I was supposed to you? run the Berlin Marathon yes. this fall, and mm-hmm. I was up at the Lakes Basin with my daughter. We, had a, we get a campsite up there for a mm-hmm. couple of weeks mm-hmm. at a time, and, um, and we go up there and cook dinner and do mm-hmm. scavenger hunts and mm-hmm. paddleboard and rarely sleep over, but Sometimes we do, yeah. um, but I was up there cooking dinner for her and Andrew and some of our friends we invited, and I tripped over our friend's dog and broke my ankle two weeks Aww. before the marathon. So I was out of the Berlin Marathon, but um, felt grateful not to have surgery, like immediately grateful I didn't mm. need surgery, um, immediately just refocused my goals into getting healthy, wanted to make sure I didn't have any skeletal issues going mm-hmm. on, so went right. to the Mammoth Hospital, got my DEXA scan, my bones are strong and healthy, even at Yay. 46 years old. Awesome. And so then it was just on to healing and using that time in the morning to be productive in other ways, mm-hmm. like reading a lot and, um, and cleaning the house again. And our house has never been cleaner in those weeks I wasn't running. <laughs> so let's talk about that reading. I'm the librarian. I'm, I'm, I come here with an agenda. What <laughs> are you reading these days? What do you like to read? So um, I uh, recently read Marie Kondo's book and she got me into purging and simplifying (laughs) my life. And it started with my closets, trimming down my Mm -hmm. closet. And my goal was to look like a closet ad Mm -hmm. that you see in a a magazine. Well, we're not there yet, but maybe with one more purge. (laughs) Um, And then came books. And I thought it would be so hard to get rid of books because I was an English major with Mm -hmm. emphasis in creative writing. Mm -hmm. I had a second degree in journalism. So Mm -hmm. books are so valuable to me. I am not easy on them. I underline and write in the right. margins and dog ear pages and right. even have journals that that highlight the the highlights that I that right. I that I marked up in the book. So I'm really I get really <laughs> You're into invested these, in I it. guess yeah. way invested. And so I um so I thought it would be really hard, but I just went in with the philosophy that I, I loved this book so much and I want someone else to read it mm-hmm. so badly. And so I got rid a lot of a lot of my favorites, open by Andre Agassi and yeah. The Art of Learning by John. Josh Waitskin, which um, he's a chess player and a martial arts um, master, and he just uses his life to con- like mm-hmm. continue his learning adventure, and so he's incredibly inspiring. So getting rid of these books, and I thought, oh my gosh, if someone else can get their hands on these and love right. them That's and devour them like great I did, way to yeah, do you like that, Stacey? I do. I'm going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you about that in a few months. Okay. 
See, now I'm going to be. Now you're accountable. Now I'm accountable. Yes. Clear some space. Accountability. Yes. Yes. So right now, I, I wouldn't allow myself to buy more books until mm-hmm. I got rid of the ones that are that growing stack of mm-hmm. I will read in the future. And so I just read 1776 about the Revolutionary right. War. And it was a great education. Um, just learning the names of our forefathers and right. some of the mm-hmm. more intricate things yeah. they did that you don't read in your history books. And, um, and right now I'm reading The World is Flat, yeah. um, which is actually funny, but also, <laughs> but also on, you get like sucked into that philosophy sure. on how one could think in that on those yeah. terms. Totally. Yeah. That's great. Are you going to continue on this nonfiction tear for a little while? No, because I really love self-help books. Like okay. I uh-huh. um, recently read Educated and was oh, really blown mm, away by the beauty book. of that writing. It ri- yeah. reminded me a lot. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had the same editor of um, The Glass Castle by Jeanette right. Walls. The, right. reading, the reading, or, and their stories were very similar. Yeah. They yeah. came from very little and really became um, self-grown. Right. They, they grew into into amazing human beings right. because of because of their journey and their yeah. outlook. They weren't told how to feel a certain way. They got through the hardship by thinking that this is just the way things are. I right? know, yeah. right? Yeah. Educated by Tara Westover is yes. the only one that we've recommended to friends yeah. quite a bit in the last year and a half. So yeah. Absolutely. It is a really compelling and in a way surprising but amazing story. Yes. Yeah. You know? All of those things, and also all about being driven, which is and, and family dynamics, which I love. And I don't, we won't well, go down this rabbit right. hole. Yeah, yeah. Educated. That's, that's <laughs> in the next podcast. When we when we discuss that book, we'll bring you back, yeah. and then we'll okay. have, we'll have okay. a conversation about it because I know I think it's on our list. It is on our list to talk some, about at some point. I was trying to think of the quote from from. Um, from 1776 by George Washington because he he was full of inspiring mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. to say that were captured in his journal that were then documented in mm-hmm. this in this book and the very first the very first sentence I read in the book I immediately went up to our chalkboard in our great room and erased the quote that was there and put up his quote and I can't for the life of me remember what it was <laughs> uh, but it moved me uh, it's like remember how funny that scene was and then you forget the sure. scene um, but the we we have a quote and I'm in inspired by the books mm-hmm. that I read, by song lyrics, um, by, by um, right now, the time person of the year yes. for 2019 is Greta Thurnberg, mm-hmm. totally inspired by her. So I'm sure I'm going to grab a quote from her to put up on that board. But the quote that was up there the longest was actually from President Obama's inaugural address. And it resonated with me because it's so much a part of life. And it goes something like this. There is nothing more satisfying to our spirit and more defining of our character than giving our all to a difficult task. And it still blows me away. That's a great Yes, because we work hard at things, but it is always worth it in the end. Because even if we fall short in what we're striving for, we're still better at it by striving. Um, So it really resonated with me. And what I like... I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that's a great quote to start the year off with. No, it totally is. And what I like about it coming from President Obama, I I love great writing and mm-hmm. you know writers who where you can just pick a sentence out of a paragraph yeah. or a few sentences and just be amazed by how did they craft that. His speechwriter was brilliant, yes. was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He was always always inspiring. And yeah, having a quote like that come from a person of influence mm-hmm. that is just kind of reassuring. You know, right. like the President of the United States says, "This is important. Yeah. I can feel it's let's important work too. hard and it's going to yeah. be worth it." Yeah, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And he's are you from model. Canada? About no, but you Minnesota. know, I get that a lot. No. I'm actually from Bishop, no. <laughs> but I spent a lot of time on the East Coast and traveling no, around. That Sorry, that doesn't make sense to me at all. About 
it. So can we ask the question? So you're a writer yourself. Yes. Best-selling published writer, Let Your Mind Run. And yep. thank you. You've appeared in the library, the Levining Library earlier this year. You know, people have read that book and all over. It's getting a lot of inspiration. Are you working on something new? I am not. I I actually journal and and write quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Um, It's just part of, I guess that's how I was able to remember a lot of the years (laughs) past is is raiding my parents' garage Mm -hmm. for some of those scraps that they've saved from newspapers and magazines. And Mm -hmm. then also from my journaling, Um, like my panic attack I had in Finland. Mm -hmm. I, those words came straight from From my journal and and we worked them into the book, but, um, but it was, it only only through journaling could I get that done. I actually started on this book journey by wanting to write a cookbook. And there were so many anecdotal stories that we decided to write a memoir and then maybe a cookbook would follow. But much like childbirth, I've only had one child. Um, I don't forget very easily the pain of, of some of some of these life moments. And um, and I yes, I do equate the two. I actually think book writing was worse than childbirth. So I'm not sure a second one is going to even make its way into my future. Oh, well, the, so much about asking about process. Oh, gosh. <laughs> It's all about the journey, they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the journey was hard. Well, I bet the, it was. The book was so. I read it when I was on vacation. I emailed you from vacation. I and remember said, that. Oh my god, this is. So, I read it in three days. I couldn't yeah, put it down. Said, it yeah. was so good and yeah. heartfelt. And so, you know, I'm I'm blessed to have you as a friend. Absolutely. So, um, you know. I had a different perspective, but it was just, it was so you. Was right. Just... And, and I dedicated the book to my, to my coach, Joe Hill because he really showed me through his actions that everything we, we obtain in our lives, whether it's food or money or power or knowledge, mm-hmm. that it increases in value the moment we share it. And yeah. writing this book was a way to be able to share some of the truths that I learned through him and through the sport to share them with the most amount of people possible. Well, oh, that's we great. thank you for, for writing it, for taking that journey. Yeah. And it, it was it was a hard balance because it is a memoir, but I really didn't care that people came out of the book knowing my right. personal bests or right. what my mile repeat times or <laughs> how much time I take off in between repeats. I wanted them to discover more about themselves in reading it. And that yeah. was um that was kind of my um my ammunition mm-hmm. and, and my voice in writing was not to force feed people's self-growth, but to to show them how it worked in my own life and hoping that they could pick up on some things or even and just self-reflect a little on how they can be a better advocate for themselves. Mm. Well, I know I took all those things away Yay. from it. So <laughs> and I know the readers out there will, as well, our listeners, will put a link to it for sure in our mm-hmm. show Excellent. notes. and. Yeah, yeah I remember people asking me that it wasn't available at the library. It was checked out, and and did I have a copy I could loan them? And <laughs> I said, but just wait great. or go to the bookie joint, go to your yeah. local bookstore, exactly. right. grab right. a book, and then yep. you can pass it on to somebody totally. else when you're done, or donate it to the library. So there you go. Copies. We have multiple copies. <laughs> yeah, Dina, how can people find you on social media? Are you on social media? I am. I'm at Dina Caster on Twitter mm-hmm. and um, and on Facebook. Dina Caster, mm-hmm. and then Instagram is um, at Dina eighty fifty okay. because that is the elevation. So my GPS says <laughs> of my house. <laughs> if we trust Excellent. technology at all, 
Well, okay. you know, it's got to be within yes. a oh, foot sure. or two. And there'll probably be like a more precise GPS watch coming out and it'll show that it's not. And then <laughs> I'm going to have to change it. my Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> I love But oh, I did post on, on Instagram today a beautiful picture driving down to Round Valley to train oh, this morning. God. It was just the clouds were majestic. But, you know, we could do that every day. Much yes. like if you lived in Hawaii, you could, you could take pictures yeah. of the sunset every night. I feel every day that I wake up here, it is just a stunning scene no matter what the yeah. season and it makes me feel so grateful when we have house guests they say gosh you are so lucky to live true. here it's I true said, no excuse me I just made really good choices <laughs> in my life so, there you go yes. you did I feel very you're here yeah I feel very very yeah. happy to live here and just be inspired by yeah. my surroundings and by the people that live here every single day well it has been such a joy to have you yeah. thank as you our guest. thank you so thank much you. Thanks. hope you'll come uh, talk with us I again I would love sometime. to when I'm reading something new and fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or when we're you're cooking something oh when i'm trying recipe. to yeah. when i'm trying to make your biscotti yeah. recipe and we'll have a taste test on which one is better so so stace let's ask dina this question okay. so on the current episode we pose the question the current released episode you can listen to today is there a difference between cooking and making food Oh, is there a difference between cooking and making food? I think making food sounds really bland and cooking seems like an investment. Like you're you're actually muddling in the kitchen and trying to create something. So yeah, making food sounds like what you do when you're a bachelor or bachelorette in college. (laughs) (laughs) Or or you're a a busy working mom and you have to put something on the Here, eat it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You'll make it to tomorrow. (laughs) Okay, so we can add another tally to that (laughs) that question. I love it. I love it. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. It was a pleasure. So thanks, listeners, uh, for joining us for this episode of the Oxygen Star podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, leave us a review to help us increase our visibility and help others find us. You can also check us out on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, and our Instagram page, O2Starved. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.